Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mouse Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? And today, guys, we are going to be continuing on our escapade of player profiles with Josh Green. And then we're also going to do a little bit of a current event checkup, uh, see what's kind of happening with the Mavericks, uh, discuss some of the Kyrie interview, uh, Kyrie rumors that have been uh, sort of at the epicenter of uh, the uh, team's uh, sort of off-season rumors, uh, just, you know, barring the uh, number 10 overall pick, of course, that the Mavericks acquired in the draft lottery, which we will be talking about a little bit as well. Um, but, yeah, we'll be talking about that, developing and getting into that, and finishing off uh, one of our last player profiles with Josh Green. We're almost done. Obviously had some hiccups and bumps in the road uh, with this whole Twitter collapsing situation. So we do appreciate any of you guys that are still th- sticking through it. Uh, with us uh, amidst these dire times, Sharon. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, whether it's, you know, work or just uh, beginning of summer activities, it's just kind of gotten away. But we are back in full pledged, I think. Uh, you know, I think me and we'll have pretty much committed ourselves to a schedule and uh, we're looking forward to getting back. So I, I feel like what well, it's been like around two weeks or yes. somewhere around there. I, I think that this uh, that's probably got to be the longest absence, I think. Um. Well, I mean. Uh, we had one around Christmas time that was a little longer. I, th- I think that was it? Okay. this okay. one's a, a little under two weeks, but uh, nonetheless, definitely quite the egregious uh, no-show from us. Just a complete no-call, no-show, absolutely whiffing on the podcast, but um, we wouldn't we wouldn't give up if it meant that the Mavericks, you know, were going to get, if they even had had they completely whipped on the draft lottery and the New York Knicks were picking number 11, we would still be here. So you got that much sort of guarantee from our guys that we are not bandwagoners. We're not victims of circumstance. Um, But before we get into today's podcast, guys, um, amidst the lightheartedness, here is an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. All right, Jaron. So the ping pong balls, have been sucked up through the machine and the Mavericks obviously uh, as of two weeks ago uh, have now been sitting here with this number 10 pick. They have not made any moves with it yet. Um, first off, what was your immediate reaction once, um, you know, you found out that the Mavericks stayed exactly where they were projected, didn't move up, didn't move down. Uh, you know, we can at least be thankful for that much, despite the team never having moved up in the draft lottery in franchise history. Um, what was your reaction to that? Uh, and then second fold, um, just, you know, speak on the overall significance of, you know, the Mavericks being uh, in this specific position, you know, not not maybe having the leniency to to be able to, you know, swing a trade that could, you know, really boost the trajectory of their franchise uh, by getting perhaps a top four pick. But also, you know, this is definitely a much better outcome than losing their pick outright. So, um what was your reaction on uh, draft lottery night? Yeah, I mean, my initial reaction, I think, you know, like others, was more so a sigh of relief. You know, there was, I think once it 
you know, the 12th pick I wasn't too worried about because we had you know, like a 1% chance. And then the second I hit the 11th pick, that's where, you know, your nerves start rising and your heartbeat starts raising. But uh, I think it was more so just a, you know, sigh of relief for me. I think, uh, you know, I wasn't really expecting a top four pick. There was definitely anticipation. If we didn't hear the Mavericks in the top 10 pick, uh, then there was going to be definitely some parties being had in Dallas. But uh, I think it was more so for me, a sigh of relief and probably like uh, many other fans. But now I think that this more so just confirms, you know, what we could possibly do this offseason. I don't think this necessarily changes, you know, trajectory or changes really anything uh, that we already haven't like discussed. But I, I do think that this more so confirms the possibilities of what we could do, whether it's trading or keeping that possible top 10 pick uh, and drafting, you know, whether it's Taylor Hendricks or whoever that we've listed beforehand. Um, I, I think it just more so confirms about, you know, the the sort of, you know, abilities or sort of, I guess, outcomes that we could use if we keep or if we trade that top 10 pick. Yeah, we're not going to divulge too heavily into the pick because we have an abundance of podcasts coming up in regards to, you know, if the Mavericks trade the pick, what would that look like? We're going to be going through different draft profiles of all the players that are projected in that area, of course. So, you know, we, we do have a lot of content coming out in that regard. But um, I, I think that, you know, it, for all the all the naysayers, all the haters of the brigade, you know, it did the Mavericks did end up getting their pick. The the tank brigade ended up coming into fruition. Um, you know, we we can debate whether that um was a good or bad thing from uh you know a managerial perspective because you know the Mavericks essentially get validated for what they did. Um but at the end of the day, if you are a fan of this team, um you know, you ha- you have to be happy with the result. They're you know, and, ex- and excited for what it may yield. Uh, you know, whether that be uh, a role player that the Mavericks draft that can come in and contribute, um, and you know they can, you know, we can see this coming summer league, or if it's you know, obviously, uh, they they open up a trade uh, for multiple role players or trade back and get picks. We'll just have to see what happens in that department. But obviously, um, a captivating scene to start the summer off, uh, for the Mavericks and. Probably, uh, you know, one of the more important off seasons in franchise history, just given, um, you know, the volatility of, uh, you know, a potential Luca leaving situation, which doesn't really seem like it's it's on the horizon as far as all things, um, would point towards. But it is something that the you know the upper brass needs to be cognizant of because of you know just the modern NBA and you know superstars. Uh, sort of being able to to dictate their careers so um, we'll just have to see how that all plays out but uh, you know nonetheless uh, let's go ahead and get into um, this Josh Green player profile and then at the end of the podcast we'll wrap up with some of the uh, Kyrie rumors and stuff Jaron so you know Jaron you know Josh Green obviously made a huge jump in the 2022-2023 season for the Mavericks um, essentially, you know, from his first two seasons in the league, uh, he, you know, went from a, you know, a fringe sort of reserve player to, you know, a substantial cog in the rotation for the Mavericks, a guy who, you know, started um, probably as many games as he came off the bench or maybe even more. Um, he did deal with, you know, a couple injuries at certain points of the season and perhaps even some confidence bouts late in the season. Uh, but nonetheless, nonetheless, it was definitely a career season for him, uh, you know, within uh, all career high, 9.1 points per game, 
um, three three assists per game, and I believe two, or no, it was three three rebounds a game, and like two two assists per game, I believe. Um, Darren, you know, in terms of Josh Green's biggest improvement that he made from you know his first two seasons in the league to this year, you know, if, if we're just going to go ahead and go off the top, what would you have to say that that would be? Yeah, for me, I think you know, not only his catch and shoot on offense, but also just his ability to stay home. And what I mean by that is just sort of, you know, his ability to, I guess, hone in his, you know, aggression and use it to his advantage. Because oftentimes he'd be caught in whether a bad place or it just, you know, getting foul trouble really early in the game. And I think this season he did, or at least there was multiple spurts of him, you know, really being good at, uh, you know, just honing in his aggression, as I said before. Um, and not just that, but as I said on the offensive end, his catch and shoot, I think that this was something that was extremely underrated uh, coming into the league. I know that he was known or known as, you know, not being the best of shooters in this draft and the 2020 draft, I guess I should say. Um, but he came in this season and honestly proved a lot of doubters wrong. Um, given the role that he did have, I think that he really did flourish in it. Um, you know, granted the end of the season and he had that wrist injury, I believe, uh, like quarter in, or quarter it was like 20 something games into the season. Um, but was it outside, the elbow? Was it the, the elbow? elbow? That's the what elbow, I meant to say. Yeah. Yeah, the elbow. Mm. I, that's what I meant to say. Um, but yeah, you know, outside of that, I, I do feel like he had a really strong season. Um, and of course, you know, that whole Justin holiday thing, getting in the starting lineup or I guess taking a starting spot. But I, I, I do think, you know, his sort of improvements, you know, really did improve a lot. I think there was, at, you know, some points in the season where not just Mavericks fans, but NBA fans were kind of, you know, questioning could this guy be in a most improved, uh, most improved player candidate? And I do think that there was some real, you know, sort of, I guess, proof to that. Um, now, of course, later on through the season, that definitely fell apart. But I, I think that he definitely proved a lot, uh, offensively and defensively. And I think that he still has a lot to prove upon. But I, I think, you know, for me, the biggest thing that I saw out of him was that he's a, a talented role player and a guy that I think that you need, uh, on this team if you want to start winning. And I, I you know, again, you could probably trade him for good value, but still, I think that, you know, a young player who can play make and play really good defense uh, is, you know, you don't see that a whole lot in today's NBA. And, you know, we have one here uh, with Josh Green. So I think, uh, yeah, his ability to improve and get better, of course, is important. But I think that we definitely saw at least the baseline um, of what we could possibly see throughout his throughout his career. Yeah, uh, you know, we really saw the versatility on, you know, full scale display this this past year and you know if I had just really hone in on one thing that he improved upon the most um you know from his first two years to this year would obviously be you know his you know just being self-sufficient on offense his ability to you know attack off a closeout or you know attack the uh weak side of a guy's hip and and get to the basket using his athleticism also being kind of crafty um in terms of those shots that he takes with inside eight feet you know he has a few floaters in his bag um he, he's made some really tough finishes he just got a lot better at finishing in general as the season went on I, I would say that that was probably his biggest improvement along with the the defensive aspects you know that that you mentioned there but you know obviously this is a guy that experienced um some woes as far as his place in the rotation went throughout the season and you know specifically you know, you could probably argue that, you know, it wasn't warranted, but we do have to, of course, go over to the negatives because it is a player profile. Um, Jaron, what do you think, you know, throughout this season that 
Josh Green in specific, specifically towards the end maybe started to to falter on um that he had been maybe doing better throughout the um you know starting portion of the season yeah I think you know I, I, to me one of the negatives was and this is a, I think a benefactor of Tim Hardaway Jr. is the highs were high and the lows were very low uh it kind of seemed like whenever he caught a, slu- a shooting slump or just caught you know some sort of slump in general it pretty much dictated his whole entire game uh there was you know a time in the season where I feel like he was you know the best defender or second best defender on this team and you know it, it kind of seemed like the second his offense went away or offense went away or he lost his starting role uh pretty much his defense went downhill after that and I, I think if he could find some sort of uh, you know just consistency uh whether just throughout the season or you know a level of consistency where the bads aren't as bad as they were this season I think that you know that would definitely benefit him extremely well throughout his career but, you know, to me, I think that's probably his biggest, you know, sort of negative throughout the season was, you know, I can understand from a young player, uh, you know, what might be going on in your head whenever you have pretty much a starting a starting uh, spot locked up post Kyrie trade. You know, you're probably, you, you know, you're you're itching to play with Kyrie. I get it. All that. And then uh, Justin Holiday, who only played, I think, one game previously and then gets inserted into the starting lineup. I, I understand, you know, the confidence issues. At least that's what we're kind of pointing it towards. Um, but you know, again, you can't allow that to dictate the rest of your season. And that was, you know, with 30, 20 games left somewhere around that range. Uh, and it pretty much just sort of, uh, soured the season, I guess, because this was such a positive season for him. So I, I, you know, I, I do think that if he could find a more consistent level, um, that would definitely benefit him well. And, you know, I know you can say that for a lot of NBA players, but for him, especially, because I, I think, I know, Will, you mentioned that he, you thought he averaged less points, but for me, I thought he averaged a lot more points. I thought he could have averaged 13 or 14 points this season. He only averaged nine, of course, but I, I do think his, you know, ability that, or not his ability, but his talent or just him in general got a lot better. Um, and I thought that he was more of a, you know, 12 to 15 point score. I do think he's that type of player, uh, or at least he can be that type of player. So I'd like to see that improvement uh, throughout next season, but I think just, you know, consistency, um and you know you know again being or I guess finding you know your bad games you're gonna have bad games of course uh but just being able to minimize those bad games I think is probably his biggest improvement that he needs to make do you think going forward Josh Green is going to be you know relegated to you know trying to maximize his spot as a role player in this league Or, or do you think that there's credence to the fact that if he were to you know, really improve his offensive creation side of his game um, that we could be looking at a, at a player that, you know, is in maybe the the echelon or the tier that's kind of right above good role player, maybe not all-star, but, um, you know, kind of in that that sort of middle ground. Do, you know, do you think that he's capable of reaching that um, next year or or at all in his career? Um, and, and how imminent will, will that um, come to him? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think it's easy to say that he can sort of maximize his role player potential, but I, I know I'm not I'm not trying to say that he's this player, say anything like that, but I think his sort of ceiling, I think he could become a, you know, just role player, like a Jordan Clarkson type player, not this season, but in the past few seasons where, you know, his ability to, uh, I guess, affect the team in such a positive way, I think could benefit him in his career. And I think that he, be, he can become that player um you think like but a lot of people would say you know Jordan Clarkson's 
uh, you know, a tenfold of a, a worse defender, a liability. Well, I'm not, that's what I'm not trying to like. Uh, I'm just trying to uh, like the role. That's uh, what, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, like I think that's probably like the role, of, or I guess the ceiling of his role. Like, and I think he can do that in a starting lineup. I, I think that he's a starter. Um, so if you kind of like say maybe like a Jordan Clarkson with defense, essentially. Yeah, with defense. Yeah, I guess okay. essentially. Yeah. Um. So like that, I guess that's my biggest sort of like, you know. I think that's probably his ceiling. Um, I'm not like, you know, I, I think he could definitely become one of the top role players in the league. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, maybe not like this player, of course, but just sort of the role that he's given is sort of like a DeAnthony Melton, one where he's in and out of the starting lineup, mm-hmm. but affects the game every night. Uh, and I think that's probably what Josh Green can become. And I think he probably will become next season. I, I don't think he'll reach his ceiling probably for another few seasons, probably another three years or two years. Um, but I do think he'll learn a lot this offseason. You know, I think he won like the most improved uh, on the Mavericks over the offseason. And I think he probably has the potential to do that again, him or Jane Hardy. Um, so I would like to see him do that. And I think that he could take leaps and bounds um, ahead and especially this season coming. No, I completely agree with you. What do you think were some of the, you know, in terms of like the intricacies of this game? We've obviously, you know, covered some of the the broader stuff, but, you know, if you're really micro-analyzing what he, you know, specifically got better at on offense, you know, particularly, because, you know, we already kind of talked about defense and stuff, what would you say um, that it was? Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, and we've known this, he's always been a pretty solid playmaker throughout, you know, his career, whether it's been bumpy or not. Uh, To me, I think his ability to push and transition and also just create offensively, I think we could use him as a tertiary ball handler. And I know that was sort of the plan going into the season. And we quickly realized that, you know, we can't rely on him on third ball handling. And I'm not saying that that's his ceiling or anything like that, but I do think, you know, there's certain plays, certain sort of runs that you can, or certain plays that you can run through him uh, where he's sort of the main or secondary ball handler with Luca on the floor. Um, I, I think his ability to run downhill is going to create, or it has created a lot of open shots and, you know, going to that, his, you know, open shot ability, I think that he's made a lot of open shots this year. I'm not sure what the numbers are, but um, I know his catch and shoot numbers have gone up significantly, especially throughout this season. So I think, you know, those two things, in my opinion, have been his biggest improvements on the offensive end, or at least, the, you know, if we're micro scaling anything, I think that those are the things that I've noticed the most. Um, you know, I don't think his, uh, his ability to, you know, sort of dictate a pick and roll or anything like that has, you know, stood out too much. Uh, not saying that like it can or it can, it cannot improve or anything like that, but I I think that those are probably to me the two things that have stuck out the most. Uh, if you're microanalyzing his offensive game, has been the playmaking coming in transition or just going downhill and his catch and shoot abilities. Yeah, and I mean passing out of uh, downhill scenarios yeah. is probably you know at the forefront um, for me in terms of you know what he improved upon most offensively because. You know, when I say that, I'm not even necessarily saying, when you know, he has to be dribbling downhill. He could be, you know, he could be taking a dive cut, you know, and he gets the ball, uh, you know, full speed downhill. He has, um, you know, a sort of sixth sense to be able to pass out of situations uh, when he gets the log jam at the very last minute, you know, off his back foot. Um, he, he uses his athleticism to his advantage in a very unique way. Uh, in terms of his ability to make passes and I you know that that's definitely um, one of 
the key things that I think he just furthered his ability on because we obviously have seen flashes with it. He's definitely a different type of passer than than Luca. I know that you know everybody obviously is quick to say Josh Green's the second best passer on the team, and you know to that. I mean, obviously, you know that was pre Kyrie trade. Yeah. Um. Even so, I, I would definitely you know say Kyrie. Spencer, when he was here, you know, obviously both of those guys, I think are better at setting guys up and, you know, obviously getting assists and, you know, at, at face value, but in terms of, you know, the, the strict ability to pass and, you know, the ability to, you know, hit a pinpoint target at an obscure angle or, um, you know, be able to, to get the ball out, you know, with two guys on you, then I, I would probably have to to go Josh Green, you know, only second to Luca, And I could see Josh Green being number one on a lot of NBA rosters. I mean, I was watching the NBA top 100 plays the other day and that pass against the Warriors um, when he was essentially sealed off on the baseline by like two people and he had the insane wraparound to, I forget who made the three, um, but, you know, the, he swung it to the uh, the weak side wing and one of the, uh, and the Mavs drained a three. And, you know, that, that was a play that really stuck out to me this season in terms of, you know, this guy, you know, just to get this guy going downhill with the ball, you know, in a potentially a short roll scenario and to see what he can do with it, you know, whether it's hitting a cutter baseline for, you know, a, a lob in the dunker spot or, you know, redirecting it outside to the wing or, you know, him just attacking. Um, he has that sort of a tertiary, um, you know, sort of aspect um, in terms of him being able to, you know, forward some of the responsibilities you know, offensively in, uh, you know, in certain areas of the floor, you know, you don't, you obviously are hesitant to give him the ball at the top of the key and just say, go to work. Um, but if the Mavericks can set him up correctly, um, that you can, you know, be delegated some ter- tertiary ball handling responsibilities, um, you know, going, going downhill towards the basket, you know, in the short roll, that that's something that I wish the Mavericks would have toyed with a little bit more this, this off season. I mean, this past season. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways, to get this guy involved and he has a very unique skill set to be able to harness and um, when he's you know completely on and you know you, you really see how multifaceted this guy's game is when he's you know grabbing offensive rebounds directly passing it out of it to open shooters things like that but obviously you know when it's off um, things can get um, on the on the downward slope for sure when, you know, he is going through his confidence bouts that, you know, he started to experience at points during, during the the latter half of the regular season. I would honestly say that probably that, that little stretch right there, right after Kyrie was traded and, uh, you know, before Luca got back from that injury that he was going through at the time when the Mavericks played the Kings and the Clippers, uh, was one of the best stretches Josh Green had this season, just maybe not from a individual perspective, because we saw him go off with Jaden Hardy in some yeah. of those bad games at the end of the season. Not bad games, but where the Mavericks were, you know, resting a bunch of players and, or, you know, the other team, you know, second out of back to back, stuff like that. Um, but those games, you know, showcase his ability to, um, you know, almost contribute in like a, a Bruce Brown esque sort of way, um, you know, with Kyrie, um, not even Luca, um, but, you know, with the offense going up tempo, uh, with the ball, you know, running the floor. Him, him and Kyrie did a little two man game stuff at different points there. Um, so, I mean, this is obviously a player that has a lot of potential. Uh, he has the ability to, to fit seamlessly, 
Um, you know, with, with superstars, that's always a player that the Mavericks um, would need to uh, really, you know, associate themselves with um, if, if they have the luxury to do so. So, you know, I, I'd say without hesitation that I think we would both wish Josh Green is back in Dallas, barring yeah. them, him having to, you know, really be the spearhead uh, of, of a bigger package. But we'll just have to see exactly where that direction goes. We will be, both be denoting a sustainability rating uh, once we get done with his profile here in terms of, um, you know, what we, you know, kind of view his, uh, how sustainable his stay on the team is going forward. Um, but, you know, just to get into some things, you know, even further, if we're going to microanalyze his defensive game a little more, I know Jaron already talked about, um, you know, just his, uh, him trying to harness his overaggression a little bit more, but, you know, how that, and, and just how that kind of waned a little throughout the season and he did get a little more sloppy, uh, in lackadaisical, you know, he, he still is a very energetic player. He still has the ability to, to get the crowd going, but, um, it did seem as if that wasn't as calculated at certain points um, down the stretch of the season. But in terms of some things that I thought he he actually did improve upon, um, if you know we're going to talk specifically, it was probably his his screen navigation. Yeah. The Mavericks surprisingly, you know, they they stuck him on a lot of uh, you know guys that are running off staggers, a, a lot of you know run and gun sort of three point shooters. You know, uh, i.e. the uh, Kevin Herders, Clay Thompsons of the world. And, you know, I, th- I thought he, you know, tried as hard as he could. He had one of the um, best um, speed um, in terms of his average speed on defense um, in the league throughout a certain stretch of the season. I think that ended up continuing. Because I remember we used that for one of our – Yeah, I uh, it was. Yeah, I forget exactly what it was. But we used it for one of our play for player profiles for one guy's interesting stat, and Josh Green was right up there with him. Um, so, you know, doing that – um, I, I do think maybe if if I'm being you know nitpicky, he struggled a little bit with um bigger wings, almost maybe more so than uh his his first couple years, but conversely he did a lot better in terms of his point of attack defense um and, and you know most of the year, and uh you know his his ability to uh you know hedge and recover and get those sort of sporadic steals, and also you know being able to jump passing lanes, he was doing a great job really throughout the first half of the season. I mean. You know, you, you put all those tools together, you know, maybe he's a little more disciplined on some of those bigger wings, um, you know, where he can't use his athleticism to, you know, use that to his advantage because of their length. That I think that that may be part of it as well. Um, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, a, a top 25 defensive player for sure. And that's hopefully what the Mavericks can can mold him into. Jaron, where do you – what do you think um, Josh Green's – biggest improvements specifically just for next season uh what, what do you think that th- those strides need to be you know to me I think shot creation uh I think his ability to you know not just give and create but also find his own shot uh you know oftentimes whenever he's you know offensively getting it going he's the benefactor of Luka Doncic getting in the paint and kicking out and being just the open benefactor of open threes I think if he can find a way to you know get his own shot, get his, I guess, just ability to probe and find his spots and get to his spots and make his shots. I think that that's probably the best thing that he could probably improve upon. I think it'll also improve the Mavericks offense. It, it probably, you know, wonders compared to where it was. 
I think that, you know, likely Tim Hardaway Jr. will probably be gone this offseason. Um, and he could likely fill in a little bit of that role that Tim Hardaway brought, which was, you know, sort of creating, not creating their own shot, but shooting their own shot, I guess is probably the best way to put it. I think if uh, Josh, I, and I don't know if it's a confidence thing or whatever it is, uh, or just, you know, his sort of role in the offense, but I think if he could find his own ability to, you know, sort of get to his own spots, I think that'd be really benefacting or really benefactor of the team, but also himself. Um, and, you know, I know that, well, he's probably, you're about to do the, uh, the, I guess the weird stat or whatever it was. Um, but I, I think that that's probably the biggest improvement he can make is just sort of creating his own shot, um, whether it's getting to his spots um, or, you know, maybe finding a, a way to, you know, sort of get his ball handling involved. Um, that way he can get to his spots. I don't know what it really needs to be, but I think that's probably the biggest improvement he needs to make. Yeah, we saw him obviously, um, you know, be able to counteract some of his hesitancy issues that he had in his first few years where, he would pass off of a, a lot of good o- open looks and stuff. Um, so, you know, just getting more comfortable and being able to, you know, really hone in on that repetition throughout the offseason um, in terms of those, you know, that ability to create in that mid-range area, whether it's like a fallaway jumper or, you know, just a attacking, you know, a bigger defender and being confident enough to actually go up on him. We saw, um, you know, we saw different times, you know, in certain games where that would be more prevalent than not. Uh, so we can just, you know, I, I know you talked about this, but that's just got to be, you know, more consistent. But if he can, you know, obviously harness that, I think that that would be, uh, you know, the biggest benefit in terms of, you know, net yield to this Mavericks team as as well as his, you know, his own individual self as a basketball player. So uh, I would tend to agree with you with what you said. In terms of the interesting stat for the Josh Green player profile, and we kind of wanted this to go in tandem. Uh, with that last segment in regards to his improvement, um, he shot 42% on um, pull-up shots this year, you know, whether it be two or, you know, three-point field goals. And I, I think in terms of, you know, the frequency um, of his shot diet, I think NBA.com only had it around like 8% of his, um, you know, offensive possessions or whatever it was or, I don't know if his offensive position to what he shot in which, yeah. you know, he ended up shooting or just in general, but only 8% of the time uh, did he even take that shot. So this is not a stat that is widely backed up and has, you know, lots of data to go behind it. And, you know, we're not giving you the, the treasure chest of, you know, MVP warp debate here and, you know, just, just throwing, you know, advanced stats out here, but I would say as much that, you know, that number is indicative of, you know, potential as well as improvement because 42% on, on pull-up jumpers for a player who I, I think most people would say is notoriously, um, you know, not seen as a guy that has the ability to do that is a little interesting. And we've seen him, particularly in some of these games, you know, where he's deciding to play with Jaden Hardy against like the Jazz um, you know, that when we made the Kyrie trade and everybody was out that first night, that comes to mind. You know, some of those later season games where him and Jaden Hardy were having to spearhead the the offensive attack for the Mavericks, we saw him, um, you know, indulge in a little bit more of that offensive self-creation. And, um, you know, he, he usually went like 50% of those games and had decent games um, and was able to, um, you know, hit some a few pull-up middies even in some, in some games. And uh, stuff like that, uh, you know, even coming off a – you know, coming off a screen at the top of the key and being able to 
hit a three, you know, um, and, and you keep the defense honest if they go under on you. If he can just do that, um, you know, every once in a while, you know, just even like seldomly to keep the defense honest. Um, but, you know, maybe just at least like once a game, contrary to, to like once a week um, with what we saw this past season, um, that, you know, could could really be beneficial to him and the Mavericks, as we kind of mentioned throughout this whole podcast. But, you know, I, I kind of wanted to be a little bit more introspective with that stat and, you know, find something that, you know, we, we can diagnose and then be like, OK, like this is promising, but, you know, here's where we could go further with us. Um, because you know we were looking through a lot of these Josh Green stats, and a lot of them, you know, are pretty impressive. But it's it's not anything that we, you know, yeah, you know, kind of don't know yeah. about him. So, you know, that's that's kind of why uh, I thought that, that one sort of fit the mold. And you know, fortunately enough for Jaron, there's not another player profile on this podcast, so he is he's he has the responsibility of doing the next one. So, um, Jaron, you know, if if you can somehow find the the advanced stat as as, as hard as the nba.com second spectrum filters no get for you then um i'm sure that you know it, it'll be a benefactor to the mainstream mouse yes. podcast is as uh as you would love to say but uh other than that jaron um would you like to uh hash out your sustainability reading for josh green and in, in detail the viewers since it's been a minute what the sustainability reading uh necessarily denotes yeah, so, you know, I guess it really has been a minute, but sustainability and RIs, it's sort of, you know, what they can bring to the team, what sort of role they can play, uh, and also just their ability to stay on the team. Uh, you know, guys with like AJ Lawson, McKinley Wright, you know, they they have a shot at making the team next year, but there is, you know, a slim shot, or, or more so with McKinley Wright, but, you know, it, it's more so just a team, like, or, or I guess like a tradeability rate, yeah. I guess is probably like the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think... I was kind of toying with this uh, with Josh Green, but I have to go pretty high. And I think that this will probably be the highest uh, in podcast history. And we've only done this for one year. Uh, now. No. So I'm going to go with a 8.75. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I, I think Josh Green's ability to play make and also play defense is something that, you know, isn't found too often in this league. Um, and I think if he can continue to build the way he did this past off season, uh, I, I really do think that we have a special player on our hands and, you know, I'm trying not to be a bandwagon or anything like that on the Josh Green train, but I do think that, you know, he has the potential to be at most a borderline all-star, if not an all-star throughout his career. I, I'm not saying that he's like a top 24 player in the league or anything like that, but I do think that uh, he could potentially be in that sort of echelon if he, if he gets everything going. Uh, and of course that's, you know, being hopeful and being yeah. super optimistic, but I, I think a 8.75 probably fits, his mold, uh, assuming he has as good of an offseason as he did last year. Yeah, the flashes are really promising, but obviously, uh, the negative ends of the of the uh, of the wavelengths and the tros are are also pretty bad. So, you know, I, I think that the fan base, the, I wouldn't say the fan base is split, but it's like a seventy five, probably twenty five, uh, majority who, you know, really covet Josh Green as this intriguing young player for the Mavericks and want you know want to treat that asset carefully. I do think there's probably another like 25% of the fan base that I, I've seen on Twitter that, you know, just thinks that, you know, he's, you know, a, just a terrible sort of burden from the Rick Carlisle era and, uh, you know, or the Donnie Nelson regime, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, he's not a good defender and, you know, he screws up too much. So we'll, we'll kind of have to see 
um, who ends up being right from that perspective. Uh, but you know, from uh, obviously, I'm more along the lines of of the former, um, in terms of being more aligned to the you know that seventy five percent majority that that thinks that Josh Green you know really could uh, turn heads as a young player in this league. You know, I I do think for whatever reason, just give the Mavericks. You know, presumably this is if they keep Kyrie. I think that gives you a little bit more blanket of security to, you know, if you do need to make one of these bigger trades and you're, you're going to include uh, either Jaden Hardy or Josh Green. Cause you know, I think it would be pretty unlikely that both of them go away unless the yeah. Mavericks are really, um, you know, bringing in a third star, like a, a, not just a, you know, pseudo third star, but like a, a, you know, a, um, a definite third star, like a Chris Milton or something like that. I, I don't know if I would, if I could see both of them going out at the same time, but um, I would honestly probably, uh, you know, have to say like 8.5 because I think Jaden Hardy, just given, you know, he's, you know, a better ball and or, you know, has, has a different skill set, probably not as good of a defender. It, it just makes his role a little bit more replaceable just because Josh Green is at a bigger position of need for the Mavericks. Not because, um, you know, if, we, if we're going strictly based on potential, I mean, you could even probably argue Jaden Hardy might even have a little more, but. Uh, yeah, from that perspective, I, I would probably agree with you um, from that standpoint. Um, and last, uh, with the Josh Green profile, of course, Jaren, you can keep it more lighthearted on this note if you want to, but it's up to you. What are you most looking forward to seeing from Josh Green next season? What am I most looking forward? I'm I'm looking forward to the maxi. No, I'm just fine. Um, I, I think, you know, probably the most I'm looking forward to Josh Green is – not not just like his ability to improve, but I think, you know, he's one of the hardest working players on this team. So I guess I will kind of follow in that line. Um, I think he's going to have a really good offseason. I'm interested to see how much better he can get. Uh, pretty much, I mean, I know Jason Kidd has kind of denoted this year or this past season, I guess, as like his sort of quote unquote rookie year uh, because he actually got playing time. So, you know, if we're going along the line of that in his second year, uh, I think that he can make some really good improvements and I'm really excited to see what he can do. Um, I know that he has a lot to work on. You know, we've sort of hashed out uh, a little bit of what he can work on and improve upon, but I think uh, really just seeing his improvements, you know, as a basketball player uh, and sort of finding a role, I think is to me, that's the thing I'm looking forward to most. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot coming out of this off season uh, with him and sort of camp or anything like that until, you know, September ish. But uh, before all that begins, I think that he's going to have an, an insane offseason, I guess we should say. So, and, you know, it's what was the uh, in the in the 2021 year? I mean, he was with the Australian team doing Jack all. Yeah, Jack all. Wow. <laughs> he missed summer league. So yeah. I, I think that's something that we could have knocked on on him for. But I mean, Maybe that now, was the uh, that was the year before last. So yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, last year, you know, even though he didn't play summer league, he got an extended uh, run with the Maverick Summer League team in Las Vegas was working out a lot with them. So I would expect nothing less uh, from, you know, a young player that's really trying to develop. If I had to, you know, point towards one thing on a serious note um, that I'm excited about in regards to, you know, him next year, it's probably just the energy he brings. He's definitely probably the most like exciting player from an athleticism standpoint yeah. the Mavericks have. Um, just seeing if he's able to harness that a little bit more. Um, you know, he's like one of the only guys on the Mavericks that could legitimately get like a good poster dunk. So, um, you know, just the energy he's going to bring to the, to the team next year, you know, even if he's the same player he was last year, 
um, or he's able to take a step, I, I, you're still going to see um, that that distribution of, of energy. So that's probably where I would uh, have to cap it off on that, Jaron. Did you want to get into uh, the Kyrie rumors and, you know, the whole national media sort of uh, aura around him right now? Obviously, you know, there's been a variety of ports that Kyrie, you know, amidst him sitting, you know, at some Laker courtside games this past playoffs. And I think there was another team that he went to um, that they, you know, he may be on the, on the move. Uh, Brian Windhorse, you know, hoop collective all-star, um, you know, LeBron, um, and, and to put it lightly, um, you know, LeBron fanboy, I guess. Connoisseur. Yes. Okay. Connoisseur. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, you know, LeBron chef, uh, you know, LeBron brain trust, um, <laughs> LeBron bank account holder, whatever you want to call it. Um, Brian Windhorst, he, he, um, obviously has talked glowingly about the Lakers ability to, you know, still potentially add Kyrie in a potential sign and trade this year with the Mavericks. Um, you know, and he didn't obviously hash out the full details and this doesn't seem like it's anything but, you know, mere speculation. But, you know, they, they obviously he obviously talked about, you know, a potential package spearheaded by Austin Reeves and maybe some other Laker assets. Um First of all, you know, just given that that was the, the biggest sort of um, rumor that came out of the whole Kyrie situation in the past couple of weeks. Um, do you believe in this scenario specifically? And if the the Mavericks were to make a trade with the Lakers, would uh, what what sort of return package would you be looking to yield for Kyrie Irving? Anthony Davis, no, I'm just playing. Um, no, I'm not going to take too much credence into this. I know uh, Kyrie has been on Instagram Live quite a bit, and I'm just going to listen to what he says. Uh, I mean, you know, he's taking it pretty much step by step, not worrying about it too much until that time comes. So I'm yeah. going to just take it from his words and his words only. I'm not going to take too much credence in what one horse has said. But, um, you know, I, I do think that there is an outcome where that could possibly happen. I'm not denoting that. I'm not saying that I'm not worried or anything like that, because I do. There is a world where that happens. Um, but, you know, I honestly would not mind seeing Austin Reeves in return. I know it would have to be another sign and trade because I believe he's a free agent after this unrestricted free agent, I think, actually. Um, so I think it'd have to be a double sign and trade sort of scenario, but I wouldn't mind seeing him in return. Um, you know, just sort of a wing who can also defend. I think him and Josh Green would actually be pretty fun together. Um, I, Josh, I mean, Austin Reeves can kind of defend. Well, okay. Uh, I think, I, I think we would get a lot more in return than just Austin Reeves. Cause, uh, okay. yeah, like I, I think we'd have to get, like, you a, mean like a also a wing more. that yeah. can kind of defend. You didn't yeah. mean like that's jo- Austin. Reeves. No, that's oh, not, was, yeah. okay. No, yeah, I was yeah, just saying like, yeah. we're going to get a bigger package than just Austin Reeves, but yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him included in that deal. Um, I think, you know, honestly, it's probably the best player. I don't think that I know the Mavericks pretty much shot down the sort of speculation <clears throat> that D'Angelo Russell could have been included in a package. I think that happened pretty much last week. And then there was some sort of rumbles about possibly Anthony Davis moving in. I think that was just people trying to match sort of contracts or contract availability. And I, you know, to me, I'm probably going to completely shut that down just because of his injury sort of woes that he's had the last few seasons. And I'm not also, I think his his value is much higher than Kyrie's. Well, that, yeah, that too, along with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm honestly just me myself. I'm really not that interested in Anthony Davis unless if he is healthy. I mean, um, I, I can't, I can't say the same. Well, I, I'd be interested. In I, okay, well, I'd of course be interested, but I'm not like, yeah. you know. Anyways, uh, I think yeah. I'd probably hold another that's podcast a, that's in a, itself. <laughs> that's a scenario that's not going to be applicable. But I, you know, I think bottom line, 
as much as we'd like to my whole point with this is you know as much as you want to dig through uh, these, you know, fake trade scenarios. A lot of it is just mere speculation. You know, we got guys like, you know, um, I, I think it's, saying? it's pretty much only Windhorse, the guy that at least every like sort of speed. Yeah, there, there, there was, there was like one guy from Bleach Airport, uh, maybe Eric Pincus, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the more lesser credible guys in the NBA media sphere, not trying to discredit anybody because we don't have any sort of notoriety in the world. Yeah, we we have no credentials or no, notoriety, but um, you know, it's definitely a guy that I think is um, from what I saw on Twitter, has, has whipped a few times or something like that. Um, so you know, obviously Kyrie went out on Instagram live. You know, I, I you know I'm you know growing in my spiritual journey with Kyrie Jr. Yes, <laughs> I I have uh you know re- really divulged into that realm ever since he joined the Mavericks. So um, you know, I I do actually uh, you know I, I'm. I tend to kind of agree with some of the, you know, his more of his, uh, his interesting points um, on Instagram live, you know, obviously there's some disconnect with, you know, some things he says, you know, not the same person as him, but I found them quite entertaining and uh, quite, um, you know, innovating and uh, in, in mind empowering. If you ever listen to them, you know, just basketball side, I wanted to th- plug you guys on it. If, if you so pleased to, to listen to that, but uh, you know, in, in those Instagram lives that, that Kyrie has, you know, regardless of what your stance is on, you know, how weird of a player he is or not, or, you know, if we can, you know, trust the validity of what he's saying, you know, he did sound uh, pretty genuine. Uh, he does keep a very small circle. Um, so I, I'm going to go ahead and side with him on this one and tend to agree with him, you know, despite what history would tell us, Yeah. you know, maybe, maybe that ends up biting me um, at the end, but I, I legitimately feel like, you know, he's still, surveying the field looking at all his options from a financial perspective obviously you know his shoe deal with nike's over so he, he is a lot you know more than just Do we know uh because there's apparently a mystery shoe brand uh that could no, been no. In. We, we, I, we, I don't know what brand it is but he was rocking them apparently and there's uh people trying to all right snipe uh, what what uh, brand it is I, I just don't remember what brand it was oh uh, is it is it a non-popular brand yeah i think it's a non-popular brand so oh uh, well we'll just have to see if he uh actually we got converse baby that's fine no, he wouldn't sound with them, but yeah, um, yeah, we'll just have to see where all that uh comes into fruition. But, um, obviously, you know the Mavericks. You know we can base our current projections off what the Mavericks and Kyrie have said. And the Mavericks, obviously, if you do feel confident in retaining him, and they think he wants to be here, um, you know that matters about zero percent because yeah, we've heard that Jalen Brunson. But it is ha- it is good that they. We can at least appreciate the fact that the Mavericks want to keep him. They, they, yeah, uh, this is the first time I think they've publicly come out and said it multiple times, not just once. Yeah, yeah, like they, they, they and I don't think that they would be, they would fold on a dollar amount as, yeah. as hard as Kyrie either, just because of the, you know, championship, like multiple All Star, you know, all the prerequisites, right? Um, so it, it's going to be an interesting dynamic to to see going forward. Obviously, there's a lot of rumors, but none of them have seemed to have actually caught any legitimate wind. Um, you know, I, I personally don't think that what Kyrie's doing is concerning in regards to going to other teams' arenas. I would honestly evaluate that, you know, on a personality sort of basis, right? Um, if you saw Joel Embiid pop up to the Lakers game, that that would cause a lot more, you know, I, I think that would cause a lot more buzz because that's, you know, a more of a a vocal player in regards to his, his frustrations, uh, he's he's definitely you know he's been known to have thrown his teammates under the bus. Uh, a guy like Kyrie, who yes he, he 
obviously has had a you know plethora of off court um you know issues and encounters he's had to deal with throughout his career you know you can argue if those have been fair or not but i mean obviously some of them are you know they've been you know criticism for things but none of them have usually been in you know in regards to him you know dealing with his teammates and stuff like that and you know he's always, he's always talking about his inner peace and you know trying to get in the right mental headspace in terms of the city that you know he goes to um just to you know have a very positive environment where and, and you know where he doesn't feel like everybody's you know pulling his hand and i honestly honestly think you know despite the the rocky uh sort of start that that mavericks twitter fans had kind of going at him or at certain reporters might add um i i would say that the dallas media welcomed him fairly well you know guys like grant asseth uh tried to keep the, the focus on basketball and not just um you know Kyrie's pass and i think he can appreciate that so you know even you know I'll, I'll say this for the one time the mavericks front office um they may have screwed up by making this deal in the first place obviously if Kyrie just decides to do different things with his career um but but i don't think it'll be out of a place of hatred for the mavericks or his time here i think you know if i can give the mavericks anything i can confidently say that they welcomed him with open arms and they showed him good hospitality and um you know treat him the way that he wanted to be treated yep, I would agree. um even you know if they weren't able to you know obviously put the correct surrounding pieces around him to make a playoff thing so you know hopefully this is a thing that goes multiple years obviously the mavericks didn't just intend for it to go these these next few months but you know only time will tell he, Kyrie's at the uh he's at a pretty you know fairly pivotal stage in his career from a money perspective this is probably going to be the last big big contract he gets now, obviously, the new CBA, I'm sure he could still be bringing home ra- racks and racks and racks and racks when he's like 38. But um, this is probably, you know, barring something kind of extraordinary, uh, you know, where he goes on a Chris Paul-esque sort of late, you know, late career surge. Uh, I would probably, you know, think just given he'll probably be like 35 at the end of this contract, it's, this would be his his last, you know, big payday and last you know, where he's going to, you know, spend the rest of his prime. So this is obviously a, a big deal for him, probably beyond just what the Mavericks, you know, are proposing. You know, he's a, he's a very – he's definitely a, a very diverse personality. You know, he's I don't think he's a guy to be closed-minded at all. So, uh, you know, even if he does enjoy the Dallas and, you know, likes the city and everything, um, that I'd be, you know, remiss to say that he couldn't, um, you know, want to do something else with his career. And, you know, he, he – treat us with respect and he was great while he was here so if this is if this is really it then you know i thank him for his time here and um then it's it's time to you know you know really you know for lack of a better term shit on the mavericks front office for for months on end yeah. because <laughs> it's not like Kyrie, you know he didn't sign a free agent deal here yeah so uh but but nonetheless um i'd say my steer- spirits are still slightly positive in regards to him coming back but it's obviously the the you know most integral uh, sort of storyline to follow for the Mavericks this offseason. So we'll have full, full coverage of it here over at Mainstream Mavs, and, and we'll be getting into it, uh, you know, time in, time out, uh, clock in, clock out. That's what we do over here um, with Kyrie Irving free agency news. Um, but, you know, before we go ahead and end the podcast, Jaron, I'll let you go ahead and say out of, out of 100 what your uh, percent rating is in terms of your confidence that like Kyrie Irving – will be back in Dallas despite, you know, him, you know, sitting courtside some Laker games just to see a few old teammates and what have you. I'll go, I think this is respectable. I'll go with a 65%. 
you know, it might be a little high for some people and maybe even a little low yeah. for others. So I'm going to go with 65. I was going to say the same thing. I'm going to write that 65. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. I could go 4% higher, but I yeah. know <laughs> just for the, the memes. But, you know, this isn't Dennis Rodman 2000s, you know, uh, late year career with the Mavericks. So um, it kind of is what it is. Um, but I, I we enjoyed getting back on the mic, talking with you guys getting out Josh Green's player profile and talking about this whole Kyrie stuff. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of podcasts in the coming days. I couldn't really tell you when our next episode is. We might just do two of these. Might do might do more, but the, the content will be in abundance in the next few days. Um, you know, we got to really get back on track. Um, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Mainstream underscore. I know, actually, Mainstream 214 now. Or is it 214 Mainstream? I got I got to keep that. <laughs> you guys got to say it's Mainstream 214. But... Yes. Hold up, guys. I do believe it is mainstream two one four. Yes, but... I believe it is mainstream two one four as well. Yes, mainstream two one four, the capital M. Obviously, our Twitter account got banned, and that was part of our reason for our um, our stalemate on the podcast the last couple weeks, just trying to figure different things out. So we had to to recreate our Twitter. We're going to be following a lot of you guys, um, just to you know regain some of our lost followers. But we also need some of y'all's help. If you, we would really appreciate it if you guys are listening to this podcast, uh, to drop a follow. And you, you know you didn't find it on Twitter or anything that you know really do wonders for us. Obviously, make sure to go follow the YouTube Mainstream Mouse Podcast on YouTube. You can find us anywhere on any listening platform in terms of podcasts that you listen to, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure to give us a five-star review on whatever platform that is. And um, also, you know, you know, in the review, feel free to write whatever you want. We're, we're always open to constructive criticism, and we would really appreciate it. Uh, just given if you guys have listened this far, also to just subscribe to our podcast on whatever list, listening platform you're on. But, you know, barring that, we're just excited to be back and to, to cover the offseason. Um, so this has been uh, Will and Jaron, the Mainstream Mouse Podcast, and we will catch you guys in the next one.